In a world where the church was about to fall to false doctrine, God rose up one man to fight. This is the story of Athanasius. In the year 297, the church was under its worst persecution since its forming. It seemed that Satan was attacking the church and killing off its members one by one. But God knew that an even greater attack was coming soon, an attack of complacency and heresy under freedom. To fight that war, God was preparing a little boy. To hear the story of Athanasius, we're going to have to review some of the things we learned about in past podcasts. If you're just jumping into this episode, I would encourage you to listen to all the stories leading up to this one. Athanasius was born in the city of Alexandria to a Christian family in the year 297. Alexandria was the most important trade center at that time, and even though we don't know what his family did, we do know that they were not a poor family because he was very well educated. Athanasius spoke both the Coptic language of Egypt and he spoke Greek. He was also a gifted speaker and writer. When Athanasius was 12 years old, Diocletian, the ruler of Rome, was on the attack against the church. He was killing off the bishops, closing down the churches, and imprisoning anyone who he saw as a church leader. Imagine you're a young boy in Alexandria. You're in your home when a man enters, breathless. He's been running, and he speaks to your father out of breath. They, they've come. They've come for Bishop Peter. Your father and the man seem to forget you're there. They're talking quickly, and soon your father leaves with the man in a rush. You follow as your father and the man begin calling for more and more men to join them. Soon a crowd has formed. You can't find your father now or the man who came to him. The men are calling out, enough of this, we'll storm the prison, we will not let Peter die. You are pushed along the crowd, and now you head towards the prison. You're running down the narrow roads between the homes, and windows are opening as you run. This is a large Christian community, and the men hearing the news are leaving their homes and joining. Your heart is pounding, and you're both afraid and excited. Will this be the time the church fights back and takes control? At the prison, you climb a nearby tree to get a better look. The crowd is huge. You didn't even know there was this many Christians. You see the Roman soldiers coming your way. Your heart pounds so hard, you feel like everybody must hear it. Will the guards kill everyone? Will this be a massacre? You want to be there and you want to be far away at the same time. What you don't know is that inside the prison, Peter hears a noise. He knows what's happening. Peter's talking to his guards. Those are my people, my friends, they're, they're sons, they're fathers, they're good men. They will all be killed. We must save them. Peter comes up with a plan. You must kill me so the church goes home before the order is made to kill them all. Peter convinces the guards to smuggle him out of the prison and to the execution block to be killed quickly. You're still up in the tree, wondering the same thing Peter was wondering. How long until the soldiers begin killing everyone and you still can't find your father? Then the news. Peter has been killed. You're too late. The crowd is angry, but also sad. They disperse and go home, unaware that Peter has just given his life to make sure that they didn't all die. 
We don't know if Athanasius was in the crowd that day, but we do know that he was alive and living in the town the day the church tried to save the 17th Bishop of Alexandria. It would have been a life-changing experience for him to be sure. Athanasius was a teen when Christianity became legal under Constantine. He began to study the Bible, reading the Greek Old Testament and the books of the church. At the time, there were really two books, the Gospels, plus Acts, and the letters of Paul. He also read the books like the Shepherd of Hermas and the collection of letters from church leaders like the Three Johns, the two letters of Peter and Jude. He also read the Apocalypse of John, the book we now know as Revelation. Alexandria was famous for its schools. People there loved education, they loved philosophy, and they loved debating Greek philosophers. The church was no different. Many of the church leadership saw the Greek philosophers as equal with the Old Testament. The idea was philosophy is truth, God is truth, therefore philosophy is from God. Alexander was the bishop now of Alexandria, and he was standing for truth and fighting back against the false doctrines that this line of thinking was bringing into the church. He was praying God would rise up a young man to fight the war that Alexander knew was coming. One day, Alexander was looking out his window, and he saw some young boys playing in the water. He stood for a while watching them and then realized they were not playing. One of the boys was baptizing the other boys. Alexander quickly went out to see what was happening. He asked the boy who was baptizing the other boys to come and see him. What is your name? Athanasius. And what are you doing? I'm baptizing these boys as they have just become Christians. And how do you know that they have just become Christians? Well, I told them about Jesus Christ, who is God, and how he died and rose again, and how he can forgive their sins. They've confessed that Jesus is God. They believe he died and rose again, and they've asked for forgiveness. Now they must be baptized. Alexander was shocked at the boldness of this young boy. These baptisms are genuine, and you boys must come with me so we can record them. Young man, you will be a great proclaimer of the gospel, but you have much to learn. Will you allow me to teach you? And just like that, Athanasius became the apprentice of the Bishop of Alexandria. In the year 319, when Athanasius was around 20 years old, he became Alexander's deacon. Athanasius was a very short man with a bushy red beard. And standing next to the tall Alexander, who was from Libya, the two men made quite a pair. Athanasius was so short, some people said that he was a dwarf. Alexander and Athanasius went to hear a preacher named Arius, who was preaching. The two men entered the hall to see Arius preaching. His voice traveled easily through the hall, and his excitement and passion was very clear. Arius held up an apple and took a bite. Everyone could see from his face that he was enjoying himself. An apple comes from an apple tree. Is the apple and the tree the same substance? No, they have different names because they're different things. The apple comes from a tree. The apple is not a tree. All the men around are laughing. Hey, am I eating a tree or am I eating an apple? Is saying the apple is not a tree make the apple any less of an apple? So it is with God. Jesus came from God. Jesus came from God as his only begotten, his firstborn. If he came from God, he cannot be God. Alexander left and Athanasius followed. What did you think of that? Alexander asks Athanasius. Well, he was talking about firstborn and Firstborn doesn't mean that you gave birth to it. I mean, God calls Israel his firstborn, and Jacob was called the firstborn, even though he was not the actually firstborn son. The firstborn is also a term known to show status. Alexander smiles. 
Athanasius is learning well. Over the next few years, things got kind of crazy. Alexander had the church declared Arius a heretic and banished from the church, but then Arius found church leaders who agreed with him and had Alexander declared a heretic and banished from the church. Constantine got wind of the whole thing and called for the Council of Nicaea. One of the things discussed was the changing of the celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection from Passover to Easter. Athanasius was given the job of writing a letter to each church each year to let them know when the Easter celebration would be. Then, after many days of fighting, the debate ended with the Nicene Creed that proclaimed that Jesus was God, begotten but not made. He was eternal. The debate was not ending, though. Arius began teaching that Constantine was equal with Jesus, both used by God, Jesus to declare the kingdom, and Constantine to bring the kingdom in. Constantine loved that and brought Arius and his followers into high positions of authority. A few years later, Athanasius was writing his letter to the church to let them know when the next Easter would be. In his letter, he stated a list of all the books that were officially part of the New Testament. This is a very important letter, and in our next episode, we're going to be talking about how we got our church. This particular letter will become very important in that episode. In the meantime, Athanasius had Arius reinstated into the church, but Arius, on his way to preach his first sermon, became ill. He stopped in a nearby house to relieve himself and died. Still, even with Arius gone, his teaching continued and became known as Arianism. Athanasius began to write books, and his books are still read today. He soon became even more vocal than Alexander in preaching against the Arian theology. In the year 328, Alexander is an old man, and he knows he will be going to heaven soon. He calls his family and most trusted friends around him. Athanasius is there. I'm passing the mantle on to Athanasius. He will be the next bishop of Alexandria. Athanasius is not interested in being a bishop. He also doesn't want to lose his mentor. He leaves the house and literally runs away from the home before Alexander can anoint him as the next bishop. Soon news spreads that Alexander is dying and his home is surrounded by Christians praising God and praying. They begin to pray and their prayer turns into a chant. Give us Athanasius. Give us Athanasius. Give us Athanasius. God answers their prayer and Athanasius returns and is anointed as the Bishop of Alexandria. Immediately, the Arian followers begin attacking Athanasius. He is accused of sexual sins, heresy, and breaking the law. One day, soldiers arrive at his home. He's arrested for the murder of a man named Irenaeus. The courtroom is full. It isn't every day the Bishop of Alexander is being tried for murder. The Arian priest stands and begins to speak. We know, and I mean we know without any doubt, that Athanasius has murdered Arianus. Not only has he murdered him, he's cut off his hand and has used that hand for witchcraft. He's not a worshiper of God, he's a worshiper of Satan, a murderer, a sorcerer, a man of the devil. The priest then pulls out a severed hand. Here is my proof. We have found the hand of Arianus. It's all the proof we need. Athanasius looks kind of guilty. Now he stands and defends himself. I would like to call in a witness. Witness, enter. The door opens and in walks Irenaeus. Irenaeus, are you dead? No. Have I killed you? No. Please roll up your sleeves. Irenaeus rolls up both sleeves and holds his hands in the air. Athanasius is set free and no one knows whose hand was being held by the priest. But the lies didn't end and soon Athanasius is banished from Rome by Constantine. 
Constantine was traveling and riding in his carriage when it came to a sudden stop. He could hear the guards yelling and a man shouting, I must speak to Constantine. I am Athanasius. Constantine stepped out of his carriage and his guards tried to push him back in, protecting him. Stop, I will speak to this man. Athanasius is welcomed into the carriage and the two men speak as Constantine continues to travel. Athanasius speaks and explains how he is innocent of all the charges and then reminds Constantine of the Council of Nicaea, the council Constantine himself had been the chair of. It was declared there that Jesus is God. By the end of the trip, Constantine is convinced to allow Athanasius back into Alexander. By the end of the trip, Constantine is convinced to allow Athanasius back into Alexandria. However, the tax against him did not end and eventually Athanasius has to leave again, this time to flee for his life. Then Constantine dies, and hearing of his death, Athanasius returns. Constantine has three sons take over, Constantinius II, Constantine II, and Constans. Yes, Constantine named his sons Constantine, Constantinius, and Constans. Imagine being that mama trying to call the right son. The boys started by killing relatives, promoting Arianism, and made pagan religion illegal. They also made laws to make life very difficult for the Jewish people. Things changed drastically. First, the Jewish people are persecuted. The church and the Jewish community were now severing one of their last ties. They had severed one of the last ties when the church had stopped celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection on Passover. And although the church as a whole still held on to the Old Testament, but other than that, there was really no ties left. Now that Christianity was officially made the state religion, One of the first things that happened was the persecution of the Jewish community. This is a blight on church history. The church came from the Jewish community. Jesus was a Jew. The apostles were Jew. The entire early church were Jews. But the Jews were not the only targeted group. Paganism was also outlawed completely. However, the pagans didn't want to stop their worship. It was more than religion. It was a way of life. It was culture. So they simply adapted to the new laws, but continued their same culture and their same way of life. The pagan temples were renamed churches. The pagan priests became church priests. The multiple gods, such as the god of the sea, were renamed saints, like the saint of the sea. And the unholy trinity of father, god, Son God and Mother of God were renamed God the Father, Jesus Christ, and Holy Mother of God, Mary. The idols in the homes stayed. They were just renamed Holy Mother of God, since the main idol in the homes was the mother-son idol. Paganism was not ended. It was just merged into the church. And Arianism was even more widely accepted. The pagans were used to using multiple gods. So to say Jesus was God, but not the same substance as God the Father, that teaching merged well with their pagan worship. We talked about this in the episode of church history called The History of the Mystery Religion. And if you've not heard that episode, you should listen to fully understand what was happening at this point in history. Athanasia, of course, continued to speak out against Arianism and was banished again in year 338. Then in the year 361, Julian became successor to the throne. Now, Julian was the grandson of Constantine and had been raised as a Christian. However, he learned about the history of Rome and could see that Rome was not as great as it once was. He thought that under his grandfather, Rome had given up one of its greatest cultures. So he reinstated paganism and began to follow it himself. This included the killing of newborn babies and sacrificing. Julian wanted to find a reason to attack the church. However, they'd become so complacent and accepting of the Roman culture, there was really no reason to attack them. 
But he remembered Athanasius and knew that if he brought that man back to Alexandria, he would begin attacking the church. So he had Athanasius returned. Upon returning, Athanasius was shocked at the open pagan worship in his town. It had not been like that since Athanasius was a young boy. Even though it had been legal under Constantine, it had not really been culturally accepted. It was more something you did in your own home kind of thing. But now it was everywhere and it was inside the church. Athanasius did still preach out against Arianism, but he preached even harsher against paganism and harsher against Julian. Julian was extremely angry. He had called Athanasius back to attack the church, and now Athanasius was attacking him and pagan worship. So once again, Athanasius was banished. He boarded a boat and was sent out of Alexandria once again. As the boat traveled, Alexandria soon drifted out of sight, and Athanasius settled into a comfortable position in the boat to rest. But soon he heard a noise and then a shout. That boat has been following us and it's gaining. I can see soldiers. Every eye turned to look at Athanasius. They all knew the same thing. That boat was coming for him. They were going to kill him. Turn the boat around and go towards that boat. Is he crazy? We have to try to outrun that boat. You can't outrun a boat full of Roman soldiers. I said turn the boat around, go towards the boat. The captain agrees, and they head straight towards the boat full of soldiers. Soon the two boats are side by side. Athanasius stands at the head of the boat, unwavering. A soldier calls out, We're looking for the boat with Athanasius. Have you seen it? Yes, Athanasius answered. You are quite close to him. The soldier's boat then continued on its way. Eventually, Athanasius returns once again to Alexandria and calls a council. It's the year 362, the council at Alexandria, and Athanasius presided over it. Now, some people at this council want the Nicene Creed to be rewritten in a way that everyone can agree. Instead, a new creed is written to be even more clear that Jesus is God. At that time, Valens comes to power, and once again, the Arians convince him to side with them. And once again, Athanasius is banished. Athanasius is an old man. At this point, he becomes discouraged. He thinks the whole world has become part of this Arianism and pagan teaching. He wonders if the church even can be saved. He prays that God will raise up the next generation who will preach the truth. In the year 366, Athanasius returns, and he finds in Alexandria a group of young men. The man running it is a young man named Peter. They have kept hold of the faith and they are preaching boldly. Inspired by these young men and with a new hope for the future, Athanasius continues to write, preach, and then declares Peter his successor. Then, laying in bed surrounded by his family and the young men he has mentored, Athanasius uses his last breath to praise God and he's ushered into his presence. By the time he died, the teaching of Arian was almost dead. The church had widely accepted the Trinity and the truth that Jesus is God. But the new war would be the marriage of paganism and the church. What had been a few churches that had adapted the pagan teaching was starting to become more well-received, and the threat was that the Catholic Church would soon adapt the teaching for itself. In our next episode, we're going to review all we've learned so far, And we're going to answer the questions. How did we get our Bible? Are there lost books of the Bible? Has our Bible been corrupted? You don't want to miss that episode. So make sure you subscribe. In the meantime, for more podcast, blogs, and videos, check out my website at lauraleesiemens.com. 